You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Steamheart. Chapter 25. What Remained of the Natchez. From the Journal of Abigail Gray, Tennessee, July 4th, 1883. We closed down the safe house at four o'clock, taking the remainder of the food with us on Steamheart, along with the extensive resupply, and left the city limits of Memphis. Not a moment too soon for me. Agent Wolfe stayed in the rear carriage with her horse and dog, and James naturally skulked back there to spend more time with her. I sat in the co-pilot's seat next to Harry, and we exchanged secret little smiles all the way there. I meant what I said. I really am very fond of this girl. She's fun and kind and beyond brilliant. She makes me feel like an adolescent know-nothing. And she's a pretty great teacher, too. Last night, I learned a few things about my own anatomy which I had never conceived of. She wouldn't tell me where or how she found out this stuff, but I can't imagine any book would have things that were so sensitive in them. So if Harry learned from a person... I'd love to shake them warmly by the gifted hand. Pretty soon, we rolled up to the side of the riverbank, where a great hulk of a boat was sinking into the Mississippi. And I mean really sinking. As we disembarked, I could hear it groaning. The name of it stood just below the waterline now, as the river greedily sucked the thing under, hour by hour. I could barely make the lettering out from where we stood, but it was the Natchez. I've scouted aboard, Agent Wolfe said as we gathered round. The frame is unstable, so I don't suggest we all go, but I can lead you to the anomaly. Butler, Harry and Raven stayed by the steam craft as Wolfe stepped up onto the boat and helped James climb aboard. I followed, then came Annie, and finally Pines. We hurried over the splintering boards, avoiding the green water pooling on one side and... Leaning away from the tilt of the boat, I began to get quite disoriented. The world around me was shifting, and all of us walked with exaggerated, partially bow-legged strides for stability. I could see the wind door up ahead when I peeked out from behind my eye patch, which is one of the reasons I felt we could have done this last night without Wolf's help, but I had to admit navigating this ruin in the dark would have been near suicide. James was looking at some long scratches on the deck as we moved. Wendigos, you think? Too big. I do believe you're right, Agent Pines. The bowing of the wood indicates something extremely heavy made these, and the spacing suggests they were very swift of foot. We all looked around nervously. I flipped my patch, wondering if I might see something out there. Nothing moved, though the trees on the bank swayed and rustled in the wind. Right now, we were sat on the border between three states. Across the river was Arkansas, terminating at the Pan State line, and below us was our destination, Mississippi. This really was the point of no return now. Memphis was the last major settlement we could reasonably hope to walk into and not get shot. The vast wilderness stretched out before us, made all the more daunting by the churning river. We reached the upper floors, 
and with a sudden terrifying lurch, my foot went through the floor. (gasps) James was beside me in a half second, pulling me back up again as I dusted myself off. The Natchez groaned, and Jeremy seemed highly agitated. We just need to keep our heads together. Nobody wander off or make any sudden movements. As we approached the central cabin, Pines gasped as he spotted something up above it. (laughs) Agent Wolf opened the main doors, and an extraordinary sight greeted us. The room was awash. Water covered the floor, and corpses littered the place, clutching rusted pistols like they were pirate skeletons in a children's adventure. At the end of the room, in the end of the room, stood our treasure. It was halfway through the ceiling and the now sloping wall as the subsiding boat had moved around it. The roof had been worn down, and pieces had fallen through the aperture into the world beyond. Pines looked up and heard a waterfall on the other side. Tears streamed down his cheeks. The room groaned as our weight shifted the structure, and more boards were snatched through. I craned up and caught a glimpse of a red jungle off in the distance where strange animals called and chirped. I recognized the sights, sounds, and smells of that place. It was back at Briar Hill, when Krieger and Greta had walked through their own door. Somehow this was the same world, and we were so close. I could tell Pines was desperate to approach as he began to scribble down notes. Annie put her hand out to hold him still. James stepped forward. We haven't much time. May I try to close this one? One more minute. Pines cried out over the roar, adjusting his position and craning his head to glimpse the new world from as many angles as possible. We waited until the floor beneath us gave a heave, and Annie staggered against me. That will have to do. James, the floor is yours. He held out his hand, fingers splayed, and this time removed his eye patch. I could see the stars in his eye grow bright as he concentrated. Nothing happened. Agent Wolf was looking at him with a fascination I found familiar in myself. And this made me grind my teeth. I could feel the edges of the thing, the same as the one in Missouri, only stronger and closer now. And when I shifted my eye patch, I could see it was radiating purple light. I experimentally tweaked those edges just to see if that made a difference. The portal flexed visibly, and James gasped. I think I... Sorry, that was me, I admitted a little ashamed of my interference. James moved closer, and the floor gave out, the standing water cascading down as I rushed forward to pull him back from the edge. Jesus, let me do it, okay? He looked crestfallen, so I slapped his shoulder. Get you and her to safety, I said gruffly, indicating Wolf. Bring Pines and Annie back to the others. I'll be two minutes. Nuh-uh. I'm staying with you. Come on, Agent Wolf said nudging Pines and grabbing James by the hand. I kept my eye on the wind doors. It began to visibly move again. We were really sinking now. Whatever you're gonna do, do it fast. I held my hand up and began the closure. The edges of the door rippled inwards, but this time there was movement and suction. It must have only affected the air before, but now, with wood and water involved, pieces of the Natchez were being torn away 
and flung inside the narrowing aperture. Great! Hurry the hell up! Just another few seconds! You're putting yourself in mortal danger. Again. And for what? Do this from the bank! I waved her aside and strained at the stubborn portal. There was a terrible groaning, and the boat shuddered and cracked. I glanced back in horror as the deck on the shore side began to give way and collapse. Shit! That's not going to support our weight. Even if we tread slow and careful. Annie warned, her pistol out for some reason, like she was going to shoot the boat. We're going to have to jump off the side. Are you crazy? There's like a 25-foot drop onto the bank. Have to go out over the river, then. With a deafening, grinding crunch, the cabin fell in on itself, revealing to the sky the wind doors it pulled shut. I held out my other hand to see if that made any difference, and could feel a pushback against it, as though I was molding an enormous, invisible hunk of clay. I pushed and forced and then relaxed, finding it actually went smoother if I let myself drift a little. The unfortunate side effect was that I had to ignore the world around me, and suddenly Annie was snatching me back from the shattering floor. The corpses toppled down below to what I could now see was the river itself. Come on, it's done! I pulled away and focused on the little shimmering twist still hanging in the air smoothing it out remotely with my fingers until it was nothing at all. Then Annie and I charged together down the deck, coming to a dizzying stop against the railing. The dark green water surged beneath us as the Natchez leaned over. Aww, this was the worst idea. The wreck is going to fall on top of us. Can you swim? Yeah? You? Not great. Hold on to me. She extended her hand. I did as she commanded and in a moment we'd climbed the railing. Oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit! Jump! Now! My heart leapt into my chest as we flung ourselves out into space over the dark water. It should have been really quick crossing that distance, but we had time to lose a breath and yelling our tits off and then take it in again, which filled me with alarm and expectation of the impact. We slammed into the Mississippi and went under. I kicked and pulled us to the surface, reeling in shock at the cold weight and current. Grab my hat! Grab my hat! I screamed as the brown Stetson my father had given me floated away. Annie thrust out her free hand and caught it before that treasured artifact escaped us completely. I spotted her red hat just below the surface and pulled it free. Get us Steamheart had driven out ahead of the Natchez, and I heaved and kicked us towards it as James and Butler emerged and held out their hands by the bank. They were twenty feet away, but we were being pushed downstream, so they gave chase. It was such a short distance for us to cross, but it sapped our strength. Annie went under, and I yanked her back up until, mercifully, my boot heel touched the riverbed. I was, by now, near blinded by the splashing waters. I just kept propelling us towards the figures on the shore. Then our hats were taken, and we were being hauled onto dry land to lay, gasping, puking together. James, is it done? Is it closed? I asked. Abigail nodded, wiping her mouth as Harry knelt beside her. Jeremy clutched at his notes and watched the Natchez slowly crumble further 
it did not fall apart, but in a few weeks there would be a pile of rotting wood left in this spot, being washed away a piece at a time. I turned and walked over to Rebecca, who was securing her saddlebag beside the road, and finally said what I had been holding off from uttering. Stay with us. She gave a long sigh and glanced over at the rest of the team. I would really, truly love to come with you. But I'd be blind not to notice how much my presence has upset things, even if I didn't have direct orders to take you this far. So it's immaterial what I want. I must report to my next assignment. Where is it? Her eyes fell. Truth is sending me back across. To England. The breath stood still in my lungs. She needs someone who knows the territory and customs. I wish you hadn't told me that. Because right now I would give up everything to go with you. My rank, my role, my responsibilities. This, I tapped my eye patch. This is worthless. I don't know if there's anything even in there. But... The chance to journey back home, by your side? At this I ran out of words. Nothing could adequately convey what I was feeling, and I didn't need to. I could see she knew, and that she concurred. Rebecca stepped up and brushed the hair away from my eye line, leaving her warm fingertips at my temple. You have work to do. She assured me. I believe you can solve the riddle of this thing. I trust in your mind and your abilities. I nodded, slowly and sadly. But you have to live whatever life you can find. And if you can extract some happiness, just know that it is exactly what I want for you. I wish you the same. I sighed, longing to kiss her again, knowing that it would be the opposite of what she was aiming for. This was a release. Not a seal. Not a promise. Please take care of yourself. I finished solemnly. I watched Rebecca ride away from us. The husky pacing along beside the horse, knowing full well that my thoughts would continue to dwell upon her. Far away beyond the sea, I simply hoped she would not pine for me with the sharp intensity that I was feeling now. You have been listening to episode 25 of Steamheart, What Remained of the Natchez, written and directed by Alexander Shaw, Annie Oakley, performed by Loretta Saylor, Abigail Gray and Agent Wolf, performed by Sharon Shaw, James Penrose, performed by Alex Shaw, 
Jeremy Pines, performed by Matt Wardle. Where the West Begins, composed by Ferenc Hegedus of Shockwave Sound. Meltdown, composed and performed especially for Let Them Go, by Gilhaim Steinberg. Olympus, composed and performed by Ross Bugden. Impending Boom, Vanishing, and Ossuary, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Many soundscapes, including Cistern, by Tabletop Audio. Our $15 patrons get sponsor credit every episode, so thank you too. Joel Robinson, Benjamin Biddle, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Tim Rosinski, Christopher Wolf, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Kevin Otero, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Lush, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Datchler, and Lorraine Chisholm. Rebecca's Beagle, Jack Robinson, formerly owned by her brother Timothy, was waiting for her when she returned to Blackthorn in November 1872. He was 12 years old at the time and lived a further three years with her, surviving the fall of Great Britain and the journey across the Atlantic to Canada. In 1875, whilst in Ottawa, he caught a cold, despite the woolen scarf Rebecca had wrapped him in, and finally that last link to her family passed away as she cradled him and wept. Rebecca spent a fortnight throwing herself into work grimly, attempting to ignore the hole in her life, until the yipping of husky pups snapped her out of this grey place. She looked deep into the wild eyes of the pup she was trading an accumulation of whale oil for, and named her Amanda. Five years later, Amanda had pups of her own, and the one with the most personality was Rafe. 